Smartcast. With the Baker's Plus Card, it's easy to get lower than low prices for the win. Earn fuel points on every purchase and save up to a dollar a gallon at the pump. The Baker's Plus Card. All you do is win. Big, big savings. Sign up now at bakersplus.com and start saving. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Savings may vary by state. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your favorites with the buy five or more, save a dollar each sale. Simply buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with your card. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Hello, and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show, featuring Jason Zook. In uncertain times, we must change our focus and priorities. This show will highlight social justice issues with the goal of expanding minds and increasing unity, love, and mutual respect for ourselves and our planet. We support the Black Lives Matter movement. Our show aspires to promote social spirituality, which simply means that by coming together, we can solve any of our problems, including the goal of bringing an end to all forms of hate, discrimination, bias, or oppression. We must protect our environment, reform our criminal justice system, and protect every citizen from police brutality. When we come together, it becomes possible to bridge the gaps that plague our society and divide us from within. We the people means everyone. Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show. This is Jason Zook. It's with great pleasure that I have the opportunity of welcoming special guest Michael Gustin, author, entrepreneur, founder, visionary, speaker, and creator. Michael was born into a life of orphanhood, abuse, and nomadic wandering. Our guest has spent the majority of his adult life discovering and integrating the most powerful and transformative functions for transcending trauma, generational cycles, and perpetual chaos. As I said earlier, our guest is an author, entrepreneur, founder, visionary, speaker, and creator. That's just a lot to to unpackage. I look forward to doing that during our interview today. Through all of his ventures, Michael's focus is to actively assist humanity in realizing its own inner light while awakening the latent transcendent powers within all of us. Michael is the founder of SkyTech Holdings, one of the first global space holding companies on developing multifaceted vertical integration of the space launch, space tourism, mining, and biotech industries. We're gonna discuss some of these amazing topics today, as well as others, including, but not limited to, SkyTech Holdings, SkyTech Aerospace, Michael's Reality Hacker Company, his Alignment Engine, Michael's Foundation and Nonprofit, Love Without Borders, and so much more. Without any further delay, I'm excited to welcome Michael to the show. Welcome to the show, Michael. Hey, Jason. Nice to talk to you. Great to be here. Love the energy. And I'm just really excited to chat with you and just get these vibes going. And it's such a pleasure to have you on here just because I know um, when I first looked at your information, I was blown away by it. When I went to law school, one of the things that I remember my last year of law school was having us discuss space tourism. And, and that was back in 1999, 2000, dating myself for a minute. But I remember being fascinated by it. Uh, my law school even had a, a space tourism journal that discussed the topic in depth. So when I saw that SkyTech Holdings and SkyTech Aerospace are in that similar mindset, I wanted to ask you about it and say, 
what is SkyTech Holdings and what are we going to expect from that in the future with your involvement? What do you see? No, that's great. That's a great question. You know, SkyTech Holdings is really to no avail a manifestation of my desire to help humans really expand beyond uh, where we've been contained for the last 10,000 years in a real authentic um, and, and new way. Uh, you know, SkyTech really represents a vision to make space more accessible and affordable for everybody. I think that a lot of the times, because of how we have decided to allocate resources and everything about how our systems function on Earth, it can tend to feel like we are all living in uh, a bedroom meant for two people, right? That there's 10 people met in a bedroom for two. And I think that moving into space um, and really expanding our species' lifeblood into space not only gives us the opportunity to really explore and to sound cliche, you know, go where no human has gone before, but also gives us the opportunity to really work advancements for life here on earth. I think a lot of the times we underestimate how much of the pleasures we enjoy today have come through our advancements in space exploration and space technology. Um, I am not well educated enough to list them, but a quick Google search will definitely share um, all of the, the ways that our lives here on earth have been enhanced and made more convenient through our advancement of space and space technology. Um, I'm also a big fan of the overview effect. Um, and this is really a big heart behind SkyTech's space tourism program. You know, as you know a little bit about my background, there's a lot of religion there um, that resulted in an awakening. And I realized ultimately that, you know, this awakening to the truth of our being, 99% of the time over the last 10 to 20,000 years, if it has happened in a manipulated environment, humans have tended to create a religion around it and a sense of seclusion. And I think the truth of our being is universal. It's not exclusive to any group of people. And so naturally the overview effect has been uh, stated to produce altered shifts in perception that cause a sense of oneness to be realized. And it's our goal with our space tourism program to not only give people an experience like they've never had, um, and we can get into the technology shortly, but ultimately it's my personal goal to help produce something of a domino effect so that people, when they're sitting waitlist and they're observing this entire marble sitting in nothingness, realizing that it's all we have, that they come back and the way they treat themselves changes and the way they treat other people changes and the way they treat the environment changes. And so it's my goal that by bringing people into space, we're going to inadvertently create a shift in consciousness here on earth that will result in a better stewardship of our resources, of our systems of uh, politic, money, and that kind of thing. I think that a lot of the time we just need a 30,000 foot view, no pun intended. And so um, there's a lot of other facets of SkyTech, but for the space tourism, that's really our biggest focus is providing people an extended stay in space uh, and an opportunity to experience um, the concept of a unified world. Um, I think that that just has dramatic effects on the nervous system that very few experiences on earth can replicate apart from an ayahuasca experience or, or something of that nature. Let me ask you this, cause I'm thinking about this, how exciting it is. 20 years ago, I was thinking about this in law school and I remember just thinking to myself, wow, will this happen in my lifetime? And I'm going to ask you now, do you think we'll see space tourism happen in our lifetime? I 110% uh, believe that. Um, so right now we've got Richard Branson with Virgin Galactic and we've also got Blue Origin. Um, kind of a funny story here. So the CTO for SkyTech, Pat Kelly, 
Um, he was the CEO of a company called Vela Technology Development the same time you were in law school, probably one of the case studies for your space tourism search. Pat, uh, Pat Kelly and his team developed the system that Virgin Galactic is currently using to take people into space. So it's been 20 years and they're still using that same system. We've partnered up with a company um, called Electric Sky and they are um, full of time inventors of the year, rocket builders, Apollo legacies. They've been in the industry for a while uh, and have developed a completely new form of propulsion that can get us into space with this amount of fuel. And- Zero fuel? We're talking completely electric space tourism. You're talking going up gradually instead of sitting on a rocket thinking you're about to explode. You're talking about being able to sit in space for hours instead of just five minutes. And you're talking about coming down with the same type of grace that you came up with. And so we're getting ready to enter our seed round to fund this technology. Um, we've, it's, it's really, 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 really wonderful. Um, and the implications of this technology go far beyond our ability to uh, take planes into the sky and into space. It extends to our life here on earth and how we deal with energy and that type of thing. But yeah, I, to your question, um, it, I absolutely believe that. And I, it is our goal to have our first passengers in space by 2030. That's amazing. That's only nine years away. That's, yeah. I mean, when you think about that, that's not in the big picture of time and space and hum humanity. I mean, we're talking only a, 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 a few seconds, basically, in, yeah. in real, real life. Yeah. I, you know, and, and, you know, I find that it's super helpful to what I like to call pressure the universe. I like to put very, very daunting tasks in front of me because it causes me to either surrender the truth of my, my largeness and my infiniteness, or it causes me to crumble under the weight of a limiting belief, which I then get to work through and then go beyond and then sit in that space again and produce. And I have found over and over and over and over and over again that you know my ability to sit in a space of expansiveness without allowing all of these thoughts of, well, why can't, you know, this can't happen because of this and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> you really, this is where the magic really is. You know, Pat, um, you know, I told you about his history in Valley. He's a retired Lieutenant Colonel. He was, uh, he was uh, on Project Blue Book. I'm sure you know what that is. Um, he was the lead on the team for America's first defense satellite in history. He led that team, um, just decorated human. I just adore with my whole being. And so honestly, like for me, like, that's the thing I could have never conceived having somebody like that on my team. I just said, this is like the, the thing that I want to do with the whole of my heart. And I'm just going to surrender to that. And literally uh, I was in a SpaceX group on Facebook and I said something about SkyTech and our desire to mine asteroids. Cause that was our, that kind of is a big focus for us. And Pat ended up replying and I ended up messaging. I was like, literally, Hey, this is what we're doing. Do you want to come on board as our CTO? And it was, it was literally that simple. And um, Pat has obviously introduced me to a wonderful Rolodex of humans who have been supportive of taking us all into space. And so I, I just, I'm surrounded by giants and it's just like, I, I get to say, okay, we're going to do this. And you know, you're really smart to do this and you're really smart to do this and you're really good at this. So how about we just do this, this, and this, and then we'll go there. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. just, it's just really cool. Like, you know, I don't think you're ever going to get to a place where you feel like you 
truly like, especially when you're doing what you really love, it's not a feeling of deservedness as much of it's a feeling of like, man, this is, this is just it. And I, you know, there's not, there's a lot of effort, but at the same time, there's not a lot of effort at all because it's something that you're just so in love with. And it's something that's so much bigger than you. You're, you know, I think so often, especially in the spiritual community, um, when it comes to manifesting in these kinds of things, I think for most of us, our vision is so small and that's why we get caught up in all of the efforting that comes into manifesting. You know, a lot of the times, if we can just create a big vision, I'm really convinced that if we surrender to that, the doorways, they just open themselves up. You know, most of us, I, I think our biggest problem is that we're not even willing to believe that as a possibility, let alone become convicted of it being a truth for us. That's true. And, and everything we believe is what really dictates our direction. You got to have the right thoughts in your head. It's like putting the right program, the right programming or, or code into the computer. You need to have the right thoughts in your head to function and overcome adversity. I've learned that for, through just my own personal experiences. Yeah, sure. absolutely. absolutely. I want to ask you this. Let's say that you and I are at a party. No one knows you. No one knows me. And I'm going to introduce you to everybody. What out of all your different roles and hats that you wear, which one would you prefer to be introduced to as to, to the group at a, at a private gathering and why? Hmm, that's a really good question. Wow. <laughs> um, I might have to think about that okay. um, without taking up too much time uh, and overanalyzing my own thoughts about it. <laughs> <my life. laughs> um, you know, you know, if, if you were to really do that, I, 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 you know, my, my brain, so here, I'm going to be real with you. My brain automatically goes to like optics and who's in the audience. And, you know, do I need to speak to my ideal, you know, like I'm all, I'm already there. Um, okay. I think if it has no effect on my reputation or my entrepreneurial yeah. endeavors, I would say that, uh, I would define myself as an attempted unconditional lover of humans. Okay. I love that answer. I, I, I will, I will just say I'm Jason. <laughs> I'm okay. just joking. I'll say psychic. I like okay. being a psychic. I like being a lawyer. I like being like for me, I like being those three roles, podcaster, psychic lawyer. I love podcasting, but I would probably say psychic because that's usually the eye opener or a, a breaking the ice kind of thing. When I show up at a party, people are back and going to say, can you read me? <laughs> yeah. So that's usually the one. I mean, if I tell them I'm a lawyer, people are usually look at you like, okay, yeah. <laughs> I'll be careful around you. <laughs> Yeah, or they'll start like hitting you up about their current case that they've got going. Correct, on. <laughs> correct, correct. That's awesome. Um, what do you think was the most challenging aspect of your childhood that taught you to be who you are today? I think the most challenging aspect of my childhood was not so. So going through the foster system, there were a lot of people that genuinely cared about me, and I think this is where my own. Um, you know, acute psychic abilities came into play just because I had to read people in order to survive. I had to know if somebody was bullshitting me as a, as a caseworker or if they genuinely had my best interest at heart, because a lot of that really was how I decided whether I was going to open up to somebody because it, you know, it, it became really, it's so interesting. Like it became so easy to manipulate people because I knew what people wanted to hear and I knew what people didn't want to hear. And this whole, it's the, it's amazing because this whole situation was born from a lack of love, but that, that ability alone through awakening and through really discovering more love in myself has allowed me to, to and that's why I use the word attempted really see people, you know, 
for who they really are. Like everybody that I get close to, I just see right through them, you know, and it's that part of that comes from that growing up phase, but there's, there's such a space of compassion there now where there was once this, this, I, I could see you and I wanted to use that as security for myself as a bargaining chip. And now that ability shows itself in, in a lot of the coaching that I do. Um, and even my, my more just intimate relationships, um, it, it allows me to navigate better. It allows me to be more empathetic. It allows me to be more sensitive um, because while I am a very sensitive person, one of the most sensitive people you ever meet, it's also equally possible for me to be completely insensitive, you know, and that's been one of my problems in the past has been my ability to empathize, really step into somebody's shoes and then kind of approach what, whatever's going on from that space. And so that, that lack of love that really showed up through my mom being gone and constantly being cycled through families and, and, and foster parents and, and workers, I think that as a skill, now that I really carry a foundation of love has become, I think, one of my most powerful assets um, because it allows me to navigate situations in a way that are mutually beneficial for the most part. You know, I, I try and be mutually beneficial wherever. And a lot of that comes through, I think, just reading people really deeply um, because I think today, even more than 20 years ago, people are more closed off. It's really ironic. Like, you know, we've got more people on social media and friends lists than ever, but we are more disconnected than we've ever been. At least that's how it feels. And so that ability to read people, it, it comes into handy really well. Um, and I think as well, I think from a more of an entrepreneurial standpoint, you know, yeah, it allows me to negotiate easier. I don't know if that's the answer you're looking for, but. Hey, it's your answer. <laughs> it's not an yeah. answer. I'm looking, it's your answer and I appreciate it. I think our audience does as well. You, you've got a lot of great ideas and I can connect. I used to be a guardian litem um, in Florida, which is when you volunteer as, when I was in law school, I actually worked with someone who was in the foster care system here in Florida. And I worked with a child for a year and I was the eyes and the ears of the court. So I got a little dose of that, a little, a little, you know, glimpse of it. And it's, um, it's such an amazing thing that you went from that in your early part of your life to where you are now. I mean, it's not that you're aspiring, you already are. You just, uh, you're filling in, you're, you're still filling in and realize it's like a coloring book. You're a coloring book, but you're coloring in the additional pages, but you are where you are for a reason. You have an important function in many capacities to work with others. And I think that's what I get from my, you know, just, just going through this with you today in our conversations. I, uh, I always like to know when, when we, we accomplish things in our own lives, if I was asking you, who do you look up to the most in your life at this point in time and why? Who would you say? That's really good. Um, do they have to be people that I know? No. Okay. Okay. You know, I think the person, and it's so interesting because I don't necessarily I think about somebody all the time. Um, but I think if there's, gosh, this is going to sound so cliche, you know, because I'm not in any way religious anymore. But I really look up to the person of Jesus, apart from all the religion that was involved there. And I really, I really try and model my life after just focusing on service because it's so easy for me to get egotistical because you're right. I've done a ton of shit that most people don't do over a lifetime. And it's like, I have to keep myself humble. I have to, because I, I, I will become a piece of shit, dude, you know, like I will, and I don't want to be that. And so, you know, like I, I love Elon Musk. Don't get me wrong. I could, you know, name Elon, these types of people, but um, at the core of my being, I really try and focus on service because it's the one thing that, A, I think keeps me internally 
kind of just out of my own head and in, in my flow. Um, but it also, it, it, it keeps the spotlight off of me. Um, and that's just one thing I try and do because, you know, growing up, the spotlight would always, was always on me. And especially when I became religious and I started preaching and speaking, people would always ask me for my story. And I'd be constantly talking about my life in front of people. And it's just like, after my awakening and I realized how full and complete I am and adequate and enough. And I was like, well, I don't really need to go around and like tell everybody shit anymore. You know, <laughs> so, it's, it's such a paradox. It's such a paradox. Um, but yeah, I, I would say that that's definitely one, um, one of the people that I, I, I look up to as far as how I can best model my life. Cause I think, you know, Elon Musk is great for entrepreneurialism, but if you look at <laughs> life, you know, there's a lot of chaos, understandable. Like, there's not, that's not shade on him. The dude is freaking remarkable, you know, but with that heavy entrepreneurship comes that lack of being around your family and all those different things. But, um, I love Elon to death. Don't get me wrong, but you know what I, what I find fascinating about you is that you, you have a lot and I love the humility too. That that's something I, I, I pride myself on as much as possible, no matter what we can achieve in our lives, no matter what we do, as long as we stay humble and appreciate and, and, and look to someone like Jesus as an example, or just whoever it is in our life, that's our role model that we can, that we can look at and say, wow, this person really impresses me. And this person makes me realize that no matter who you are in life or no matter what you have in life, there's always so many other things you can still do. And I feel like that's what your story is showing me that no matter what deck, what, no matter, you know, deck of cards you get, no matter what hand of cards you get, you're able to play the cards and, and pull out a good hand. Nonetheless, probably bad analogy. My point is taking adversity, overcoming the adversity, and creating something from it, but not only just creating something from it, but then motivating others and inspiring others. And I want to get into that because you're one of the few interviews I have where I have more material where I could actually do like two interviews here, but we'll, we'll do with what we can for the hour we got. I want to ask you this. Reality Hacker Company. Yeah. Talk to me a little about that. How did you form it? And Alignment Engine, what, what caused you to, to form it? I know you mentioned you had a spiritual awakening and I wanted to see if that has anything to do or coincide with your path and your journey internally, if you could share that with the audience. Oh gosh, I love it. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, Reality Hacker really starts at, at the beginning of my religious journey. Um, and I'll kind of just give you a high level overview of that. Um, you know, my religious journey started uh, at the end of 2010, early 2011. Uh, I had just taken a Greyhound three days to meet this girl I had been talking to online for seven years. And, you know, I was like, oh, we're going to get married, yada, yada, yada. And and long story short, I get catfished. So I take three days on a bus, dude, to get catfished by a girl I've been talking to online for seven years. It was nuts. You could have been on the show. <laughs> yeah, I know, dude, like that. Yeah, absolutely. And so that happened. And so, but I was there, this little backwoods town in Ohio. And I was there and I was like, well, you know, we agreed to go to church together because I was religious at the time. And you know, we went to church and it was one of those heavy charismatic places. Everybody's speaking in tongues, all that stuff. And guest speaker, end of the service, he calls a bunch of random people up. And I was one of them. And he told me a bunch of stuff about my life that I had never heard. And this was the really, one of the first times I had experienced this sense of something or someone knowing, knowing me intimately that I had not really shared with before. And that kind of was the start of me figuring out what the heck that was. What was that ability to see beyond myself and know things that were unknowable and yada, yada, yada. And so, you know, I spent uh, the next five years from 2011 to 2015 uh, in a gazillion denominations of Christianity from the hardest, you know, repent or perish Southern Baptist 
to heavy romanticized, charismatic, you know, IHOP, International House of Prayer, Bethel Church, um, you know, Seventh-day Adventist, Methodist, Lutheran, Calvin, and you name it, I was there. And I realized that no matter where I was, nobody could really give me an objective declaration about what this, what this being was. Everybody had their own interpretation. And eventually I just realized, you know, I, I was very rebellious. Um, I questioned many churches. I got arrested from churches. Um, I got kicked out of churches and exiled because I would just question authority constantly. And, and I would always, you know, ask like, what, what, wh why do you have objective kind of authority on what this is? Yada, yada, yada. Long story short, you know, I, I, my last year in Christianity, I tried to really break away. It was really hard because I had went to discipleship school. I had memorized a gazillion scriptures. So I couldn't even like live my life without being mentally threatened by scripture. Um, and I was finally able to break away. And I moved to a little town in Missouri, uh, far away from everybody, kind of turned all my socials off, threw all my Bibles away. And about three months later, um, I ended up getting arrested for possession of cannabis. And Long story short, I got into that jail cell and uh, I did a, a talk at UCLA about this. You, you mentioned TEDx and I did something at UCLA just, just about this. Um, it was all about the fact that I got arrested in Missouri. I didn't get any tickets. You know, I, it was the whole, you get in your cell, I open up a Bible. The first thing you open up to was uh, all the curses that are on you are going to turn into a sparrow and fly away like a bird. And the cop comes in like five minutes later, he's like, you're free to go. And I'm walking down the street getting ready to go back to the house that I was staying at. And that's when my spiritual awakening happened. And I just, I lost all sense of my individuality. And I started seeing myself from every vantage point of everything that I could see. Like I was seeing from the grass and from the cement and from the houses and from the cars. And I was looking at everything all at once and, you know, feeling everything and everything. And in that moment, I realized that this God that I had been chasing and pursuing that I had perceived was separate from me. And I was trying to be good enough for was something that I was one with all along. And that was the most groundbreaking truth of my life because growing up, I never was enough and there was never a space of enoughness. And, you know, that we go back to your earlier question about the most challenging thing. It was that it was, when am I ever going to be enough? And so this awakening happened in a lot of not, you know, it wasn't like, Oh, well you, you know, go walk in a candy lollipop field and never worry again. No, a lot of those chains were broken, but there was still metanoia to be had, right. There was still reprogramming and, I realized though that those evangelistic tendencies didn't necessarily leave, even though I left uh, <laughs> institutionalized religion. And I realized about a year and a half later uh, that these things were so powerful. And I was getting into spaces that I had never been in before of abundance of love of just, you know, places where I really realized that, yeah, we can get past our, our own cycles of experience through transcending belief and, I, I met my co-founder, Dave, right around that time. And we were studying a guy heavily named Neville Goddard. I'm sure you know who Neville is. And um, we met through a, a coach named 2020. And uh, Dave and I said, well, you know, why don't we just bring this to the world? And our goal was to take a lot of what Neville said um, and other teachers, but mainly Neville, and turn them into very practical, applicable concepts and that's kind of how Reality Hacker started. And so I tell you that story to say, yes, it is a byproduct of that awakening, but in the same degree, so is SkyTech. SkyTech also carries that thread of helping people go beyond themselves. Um, but yes, to Reality Hacker, that it, it really was all rooted in. And the goal there with Reality Hacker, we talked earlier in our conversation about the unmanipulated environment and transformation. 
The goal with Reality Hacker is to provide the most unmanipulated environment possible to explore the most fundamental truths of the universe. Because really, what we're dealing with is a battle of belief, right? My battle is with the belief that I am not good enough to have what it is that I want. And so naturally, what I learned also through preaching is that you can preach at somebody all day, and I know you understand this, but until you experience something, you won't really resonate or agree with it. And I realized that there is a ton of people in the law of attraction and manifesting space telling, 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 telling you, okay, you're God, your consciousness, you're infinite. The kingdom of heaven is in, inside of you. That's cool. Like, I love it. I'll say that all day. But there was a bridge where people were getting the intellectual know-how, but completely lost from the experiential understanding. And so the I am experience was really built out of a desire to help people experience the truth of their being so that they don't have to do a lot of the mental gymnastics, right? Because the brain follows the heart. And if we can get the heart to experience its infinite nature over and over and over and over and over and over again, because beliefs are thoughts we keep on thinking, the more we'll sit in that expansive space, the less those mental gymnastics will become a burden. And so, yeah. That's so cool the way you describe that it, in terms of how I explain it to people. I'll say like clients I work with as a psychic or even friends, I'll say your what if thoughts and we're all prone to them. What if this happens? What if that happens? It sounds similar. I do a very simplistic example of that. And I'll say, well, if you're able to isolate your what if thoughts and not worry about the worst thing that could possibly happen in the world, because it's likely not going to happen. You only react to those things that are in front of you at the present moment. And I, I use the analogy. If you think of an old laptop, when you try to turn on an old laptop that you haven't touched in a while and you put it on and it's a, a windows laptop, and it just seems like forever you're waiting for the thing to come on. That's what I tell people when you're burdened by what if thoughts, you're actually burning yourself energetically to not psychically, energetically, whatever, to not, to not free yourself up for your infinite capacity, right? You're talking about amazing, I mean, earth, mind boggling, amazing things of what you're involved in and the kind of stuff where an average person in our audience, for example, listening to our talk right now, they probably have a hard time even putting their arms around space tourism, space yeah. flight, you know, all these amazing things. And I think one of the biggest things that anyone can learn from us talking today is everything that we're talking about is just as real as the chair that they're sitting on, the words that they're hearing, or the feelings they feel in their heart. And I think this is, is, is big for me because I feel like you're really speaking to authenticity of spirit, of person, of everything. I see authenticity when we're talking about this stuff and it excites me because um, we need more of that in this post-COVID era that we're living in right now. Yeah, you know? I love that. It's, you know, it's it's really hard. And, you know, believe it or not, I just got out of a phase of my life where that was kind of the main concept. You know, for a very long time, it was very hard for me to lie to myself about how I felt. And so naturally I'd be, I was the polarizing figure that I am. And um, I got into a relationship a couple of years ago where I really put a lot of my what maybe I would consider, maybe other people would consider my best assets kind of on the side um, in order to appease where I was at. And I realized, you know, how much of myself I truly lost by not being authentic. And it's like, I think that's the one thing. It, it doesn't matter if you sound freaking crazy. You know, your, your ability to be honest with yourself is the greatest tool that you can leverage um, because from there, everything else kind of begins to to sort itself out. But I think that, and you see this, I think a lot in the spiritual community is the sense of bypassing good vibes only. Let me pretend that my negative thoughts don't exist. We could get into the nature of thought and stuff later, but yeah, I, I think 
authenticity is super important to me. And especially as I'm here with you and we're meeting and we're talking while you and I are having a conversation, like we've been friends for years, you know, it's super important to me that, that I'm saying everything not to buff myself up, but just kind of how I, how I would say it, which is why I didn't premeditate any of these answers, because I feel like when I can just tell you what is in my heart, that's the most authentic answer you're going to get. 100%. For sure. For sure. I, you brought up the I am experience and I did review it. I, I appreciate you sharing it with me. I want to ask you, how did you and Dave Smith create the I am experience? Yeah, absolutely. So as I mentioned, Reality Hacker was born um, with a very strong vision to make things very practical, uh, applicable, take a lot of these more ethereal concepts and turn them into things we could really integrate on a daily basis. And we did that and it worked really well and we built a large community. And what happened was we ended up shifting away from that for a little bit because the model that we were leveraging was just not appropriate for us personally. And this is where we got into alignment engine, but I won't, I won't talk about that right now. But as we came back to really look at impacting the manifesting space, we were looking at all of these teachers all over Instagram and Reddit and Facebook and all these groups and people we're saying the same thing over and over, but you find that most of the people just aren't getting it. And they're constantly looking to have a YouTube video reassure them and constantly just to make sure this works and all that kind of stuff. And we realized like that's, that's like, it feels terrible. It feels terrible when you're learning this stuff and, and you're not really convinced that it's objectively true. Right. Because a, because you haven't really had the the, the wherewithal to see how it's unfolded throughout your life up to this point, but B, you don't really have any tangible examples. And so, you know, the I am experience, Dave and I got together and we said, how can we provide a way for people to experience the truth of their being? Um, because if we can get them to go beyond the mind, the mind will become the servant to whatever they're going beyond to. And so we began the I am experience by taking those and asking them ourselves every day, right? Where do I end? Am I enough? What is time? all of these different basic fundamental concepts and really looking at the meaning that we had kind of assigned there. Because when we begin to take, this is why asking the most fundamental questions is the most powerful because when we ask those fundamental questions, we see our own fundamental self-concepts and our own fundamental self-concepts, right? As you know, are what create what we have. Um, And so naturally, most people in this space know that eliminating your limiting beliefs is what you have to do to believe that you are what you want to be so you can have what you want. And it's like, that's cool. I love it. Let's not even worry about the limiting beliefs. Let's try and find a way to get you experience expanded awareness. And as you experience that, the limiting beliefs will fall away on their own. And that was really the intention. And so all of those experiments every single day, we did them and we got, we gleaned insight from them. And as you can tell, there's some commentary as well. And that commentary kind of summarizes a lot of the discussions we had every day. Um, and as you can tell, the, the beginning is very ethereal. And as you get towards day 20, 25, 30, 35, it gets more down to earth and practical. But that's really the thing. It's like we don't want to get people up in all the techniques and the tips and the tricks if they don't need to be doing them. We want to get you operating from a space of expansive awareness and inherent perfection and this idea that you don't need to do in order to be. And that's where, you know, my awakening became the most powerful thing here because before that point I was living from, I need to do in order to be enough. And all of a sudden you flip the switch and it's, I am enough. Therefore I am doing, and you know, 
Napoleon Hill's mentor, Charles Hanel, he alluded to this. He says that we can only do to the extent that we can be, and we can only be to the extent that we are, and what we are is determined by our fundamental self-concepts. So our doing, our doingness, our, our action is never going to outperform our self-concepts. And so naturally, if I could get you to experience your infinite nature, well, by all means, you could do whatever you want after that. And that's what we end up seeing is people come in and they do the experiments. And I mean, we get results that are they're all over the spectrum, you know, like based on the type of stuff that people come in. Sometimes it's 40 years of baggage just dropped, right? Sometimes it's careers, you name it. But, you know, it's just really an opportunity for people to experience their true nature. Because for me, I feel like for me, that is the biggest factor in me becoming the space CEO, the author, the founder, all that stuff. It's not anything other than the fact that I know that I am loved. I know that I am enough and I know that I am adequate and worthy. And I really don't attribute any success I have to anything else because all else is, is irrelevant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you don't have yeah. self-love for yourself, what's going to matter what you accomplish, right? You'll never be able to appreciate it. hundred percent. hundred percent. You mentioned in your, in the, I am experience, um, that there was, I guess, a time when you had a profound experience and, and it dealt with when you were in your apartment in LA after a simple inner, inner inquiry, you mentioned that you were engulfed in an outpour of bliss. And I wanted to see if you could talk about that with our audience a little bit and, and, and kind of embellish on that a little bit because that kind of caught my eye when I was looking at your book. Yeah, so that's actually Dave's story. Okay. Um, but my awakening experience very much reflects what Dave's was like. Um, you know, if you, if you want me to share a little bit more about it, sure. but, um, yeah, I think that, you know, it didn't necessarily come through that self-inquiry. Um, but through that realization, I think that there, there was that, that natural bliss that happens after awakening, I think it lasted for like a solid week before I started coming down. It was the most natural blissful high I, I, I'd ever had. I, Cause I, Hey, I didn't even smoke before that. Um, <laughs> I was not a smoker really. Um, obviously I did get arrested for it, but I wasn't really a smoker. Uh, but it was, it was just the most natural love and bliss I had ever felt. And I realized like in that, I, I began to notice how my own perceptions about things that immediately began to shift. And so things that I had a really crappy view about all of a sudden I was looking at somebody that I had a grudge towards yada, yada, yada. It was like, Oh, doesn't matter. Oh, their love. Because that, that experience of everything is me was so fresh and, you know, I think that in a lot, but the thing about these experiences is a lot of people idolize them and they want, you know, and, and I did it when I was in heavy in Christianity, it was the whole, let me see the manifestations. Let me, cause I saw, dude, I saw feet grow out of stub legs. I saw deaf people that had not heard since they were a baby restored here. I I've seen all the miracles, all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, I think the most powerful part of these experiences is the love that is realized in us. Um, that, that is the most profound and the most transformative. And so I'm going to hook you up with Dave though. And I'm sure he'd love to talk about his experience and his no problem. Absolutely. You know, interesting. You point to love because one of the things I've learned from doing mediumship, psychic mediumship, when I pick up on deceased loved ones from the other side, they'll always tell me that they stay in contact with us here left behind through love. The emotion of love is actually a spiritual connection as well. It's like the umbilical cord. And so anyone you're close with in your life, when they cross over, they can keep in touch with us and where their reality shows my understanding. So love transcends everything. And it is the main connector, as you described it. I believe in that because I've had hundreds of people come from the other side over 20 years, and they've been pretty consistent in sharing the same message, which is unconditional love 
is what we all are after we cross over. And it's just, um, it's all built on that. That's like the basic framework upon which our universe exists and our reality is based upon, in my opinion. Yeah, I know. I 100% agree with you and was just talking about this earlier today with our clients. It's like, you know, and this is where your relationship with yourself really begins to change. If you begin to really contemplate, consider, integrate the concept that you are at your core unconditional love and you were before you became human and you are as you are human and even after you die, you will still be that. So much of the scariness of life becomes a lot less scary and we, we tend to stop taking it so seriously and we're able to live in that energy of play so much more and flow and all those things that we all love anyways. But it's like, gosh, yeah, you know, it, it like it is the most important thing. Like I'm really convinced and this is kind of like why we have our space tourism program. It's why Reality Hacker does what it does, because I'm convinced that if I can just provide a way for people to experience their completedness, their completion, their wholeness, their their holiness, their abundance, their inherent fullness, then, dude, so many of the systems and the paradigms and the companies that feed off of insecurity and lack, will just drop. they'll just drop, you know, um, how many people will not need antidepressants if they learn love, right? <laughs> And so that's a big part of my story. I was forced on my first antidepressant at age four. And I was on, honestly, over 30 different medications between the age of four and 18, ranging from antipsychotics to antidepressants. Um, and I ended up overdosing, ironically, on those very antidepressants in 2009. I ended up overdosing on 4,000 milligrams of Lamictal and Wellbutrin, uh-huh. um, was pronounced dead woke up in a hospital bed three days later. Um, and that kind of culminated in my religious journey because there was one night after I'd kind of become Christian and the whole thing. And I was like, look, God, if you're real, I'm just going to go cold Turkey and I'm going to be okay. And this was back in 2011. And I haven't taken a single antidepressant or antipsychotic since that night. Um, and that's phenomenal. And I'm not going to tell every, anybody to, that's not medical advice. Uh, no. I am very unconventional, but yeah, like you're a hundred percent right. When you really know the truth of your being, you don't need anything. You don't need anything. Anything at that point just becomes a choice more than a necessity. Exactly. Exactly. hundred percent. I agree with you. I, I, I love the concepts we're talking about. And by the way, I battled depression myself so I can understand what you're talking about. It's one of those things I think when everybody with the pandemic in the last year or two, I think a lot of people have dealt with a lot of unsettling thoughts and ideas and emotions and feelings. And, you know, I think where we are now, we're kind of like coming out of that slumber stage. And now we're looking at our potential and what's next and where we're going to be in five years and having freedom of access to things in the world that we didn't have before. Yeah. I, I appreciate you sharing all this stuff you're sharing personally with us. I think that that's very inspiring. And I appreciate your story because your journey goes deep. And it's a long journey ahead. <laughs> You've got many years ahead of you, I feel. Um, I want to ask you this. The concepts that you describe in I am the experience, for example, beingness, awareness. I was impressed with that term because I'm real big about being and appreciating the present moment. And I want to see if you could explain that beingness, awareness to our audience and kind of in your own words, what you think that means. Yeah, absolutely. I, I look at, at our beingness or our awareness as that which is observing what is going on inside of ourselves. And so there's, there's always this witness that is existing. And this witness is who we are, excuse me, but most of the time we're perceiving ourselves to be this human. 
And so when we can sit in silence and really just, you know, for me, a couple of different kind of ways that I go here. One thing that I do to kind of play around with this is I, I'm sitting, maybe I'm just sitting on my couch or sitting like you are. And I'm asking, when a thought comes up to me, I ask myself, to whom does this thought rise to? And so when a thought, I'm asking myself, who is this thought appearing for and appearing before? And the moment I ask myself who this thought is appearing to, I'm forced to confront the seeming separation of personality and witness. Because for so long, until we ask that question, unconsciously for most of us, we're identified with our ideas about ourselves. We believe ourselves to be the beliefs that we have about ourselves instead of what is aware of those beliefs. And so beingness, awareness, this, this is really the space where you are lucidly aware of being aware. You are the awareness that is aware of a singular awareness. And coming back to this space, it causes us to less identify with a lot of the frailties of the human, or at least get caught up in the frailties of the human and really focus on the perfection that we are. We talk about surrendering. We talk about these kinds of things. Really coming back to that space of beingness is something that has become the most profound practice for me. And the practice that I use, it's very simple. It's close to, uh, if you've ever heard of the Sedona method with Lester Levinson, it's very close to his attachments and aversions exercise. And when I'm dealing with unwanted energy, I simply ask myself three questions. Can I let this go? Will I let this go? And when? And that's, the, you know, I bring that up. And most of the time by asking those three questions, I'm taking responsibility for my feelings. I am choosing either to harbor them or release them. And I'm giving myself a deadline to make that decision. And most of the time, if I can be disciplined about that and do that, can I let this go? Will I let this go when? I will naturally come back to that space of beingness due to what I believe is the law, uh, I think it's the first or second law of thermodynamics about every, op every action as an equal and opposite reaction. When we, when we choose to acknowledge those negative thoughts and then choose to release them, choose to let them go, give them consensual permission to leave, we inadvertently move into that space of openness. And so I, I look at beingness as our true identity and we can call it God, consciousness, source, awareness, whatever. I look at beingness and, and truthfully, this, we're gonna, this is a conversation for you and me privately, but I really believe in, in an identity beyond beingness, but it's so formless and nameless and unmind imageable that it's really hard to have a conversation about it. Um, but that beingness, I really believe, is our true nature. And I think that our ability to relinquish a lot of the, you go back to those what ifs, the things that invade our minds during the day that we really can't do anything with or about in that moment, relinquish them and just give them consensual permission to leave. We inadvertently move back into that space where these things begin to take care of themselves. Wow. That's deep and profound. I agree with you, though. I think if you can recognize what makes you tick what what is your you you know your, your you moment your your awareness like you said um i feel like it, you could be empowered to yeah. do a lot of things that you probably wouldn't realize previously yeah and um talking about empowerment i want to ask you about your foundation uh if you could talk about that a little bit to our audience and, and explain what your foundation is about and what you do yeah absolutely so michael's foundation is um really focused on serving more than anybody else, foster children. Um, we're really, we're focused on providing somatic therapy, experiential therapy to deal with a lot of the harbored trauma that comes from 
being in the foster system and finding age appropriate ways to help these children release this trauma at an earlier age before their brains are fully formed so that the chance of their trauma truly creating existential and generational cycles becomes less and less. So there's a statistic in the foster system, you know, uh, I think it's, you know, all the, I, I would say like 85, 90% of the kids that are in the foster system until 18 age out, end up on drugs, dead, homeless, yada, yada, yada. We know that a lot of this is due to trauma that has created beliefs that inspires action that creates the same patterns. So Michael's foundation is really focused on approaching foster children at a younger age between seven and 13 with appropriate types of somatic experiencing and therapy that allows them to acknowledge the trauma of their upbringing without overwhelming and giving them a space to let it go and not be defined by it. That really is the big push that we have. There are, there are plans to expand into other areas, but my heart is, is with kids that were like me. That's a big piece of who I want to help because I, I am an anomaly, you know, nope. I am 0.0001% of kids that go through the foster system have what I have. And it's my life mission to increase that statistic because they deserve, you know, and, and I think you, anyways, we could get into the predestination of life and your choice, you, you know, choosing your life before you are born, yada, yada, yada. I, I, regardless, I, I really feel in my heart that it's, it's, that's one of the best places that I can help because that kind of help, it, 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 it works decades into the future, right? You're, you know, it's that whole thing of planting trees that you'll never have the luxury of sitting under their shade. Mm. Um, that same concept. It's touching as well to think that you could take your wealth of wisdom and life experience and then go and give back and help and empower other people. I think that's something I strongly believe in having the ability to touch hearts and minds in a gentle way to let people know you can cope, you can manage, it's going to be okay. Yeah. You know, there won't need to be a 0.01% of people going through the dependency system who aren't going to make it and make something of themselves. Let's try to turn that into a hundred percent, right? Create whatever opportunities exist from adversity. And I feel like when we're discussing your life right now, you've gone through a tremendous amount of adversity but you've gone through a tremendous amount of growth and transformation and you're using everything that you've acquired from your life journey to help empower others in many different ways, you know, and that's, that's powerful. That's a powerful idea right there because you're showing children in the dependency system. Hey, you're, you're there right now. Well, back when I was your age, I was there as well. And I've been through this, this, and this, and I'm going to do whatever I can in my know-how to help you because I've been there and I know what that feels like. That's probably the most important lesson we can learn on this planet while we're breathing and walking and living, right? Having the ability to connect with those who are in a less position than ourselves, letting them know that we can get them to transcend from where they were to where they can be and become. And that's what I see from your story. I mean, we can talk about rockets and space tours. I love these topics, don't get me wrong. What is time? Who are we? Why are we here? But when you boil it down to your story, I feel like your story is somebody who's been through a lot, but you've overcome a lot and you've done a lot and look what's left. Tremendous, infinite, right? What's left is, is, is powerful. And I think most people, when they look at our journey in life, they don't always look at what we went through. They look at where we are right now and they automatically assume that just because we're where we are right now, that that's where we have always been. The reality is that's not reality, right? (laughs) Not to use the word as a double time. It's not. It's where we are, where we were, and what we're doing to become better versions of ourselves. 
yeah. and help others along the way. Did you use the word double entendre? I did just say double entendre. I've said that word like more times in the last week than I have in my life. Synchronicity, man. Synchronicity. <laughs> Synchronicity. I, I, if you ever follow my social media, you'll see I take screenshots because I've been living in the COVID world we're in. Screenshots of like 111, 222, 333. But that's just time synchronicity. There's a perfect example right there of further levels of synchronicity. Yeah, dude. Like, where do you hear the word double entendre regularly? Never. <laughs> I'll give you an aside. I know my college friends will appreciate this. I went out once. I was here in Tampa. And uh, we we're all drinking. And this was like wait, many 20 years ago. And one of my friends said, oh, how are you doing with your money right now? And I was like, a couple of drinks to me. I was like, my financial situation is subpar at the moment. And all these people just looked at me like, you're saying what? <laughs> Sometimes I like to use, you know, the SAT words without realizing it, but it's good yeah. to have someone else that recognizes. <laughs> I love that, dude. I love it so much. <laughs> Absolutely. I want to ask you this because we're actually running low on this interview already. We're running like the time has flown in, in terms like, I feel like we've been in warp speed right now. Yeah. Um, it's been awesome. It's been amazing. I would love to have you back for another episode to talk about all the other concepts that we, we could talk about. There's so many things, artificial intelligence and yeah. time, and it's just a lot. I want to ask you this. If you were in an elevator and you could pick someone that you could, any, any date, time, era that you could spend time with, living, dead, who would it be and why? Hmm. That's a really good question. Gosh, I love good questions. <laughs> Does it have to be a real person? No. Okay. So you know who I would spend time with? And really just because this is like the last kind of deep journey I did is is uh, is with Ra, uh, the Law of One material. Going through the Law of One was a very, you talk about warp speed. I, I, I had very much a lot of resistance about the Law of One until I picked it up. And I remember going through the first book probably in like an hour and I just ate up the rest. And then over the course of the next week, I had a ton of OBEs with raw and I realized that, you know, whether it's an actual entity or not, there's this channeled intelligence that is just sharing about the nature of the universe and, and reality. And, and I personally, like I am, I am a geek about the history of the universe and the nature of reality. And all of the experiences that I've had with raw have been about, either the nature of myself, the nature of reality or the history of the universe. And um, it's, yeah, that, yeah. So that's, I think that's the best answer I can give you for that right now. That's perfect. That's perfect. I, you know, for me, it's a hard answer for myself to, to, to give an answer myself. If I was to say, I, I like the idea because I'm, I'm a political junkie kind of thing. I'm also a nerd on Friday nights. So I like to watch shows like ancient aliens on the history channel and like nice. your eyes. I do all that stuff. Right. But I would probably pick someone like Abraham Lincoln and probably would do so just because of all the ups and downs that he's been through in his life. It kind of inspires me through any of my own obstacles, because when you look at Abraham Lincoln, if you've never done this already, uh, Google Abraham Lincoln's losses in life. And if you read his losses up to the time before he got elected president, uh, it was enormous. Like if you just read all the stuff he went through without his name, you'd be like, oh, my God, what a big loser this guy is. I mean, all the things he ran for and lost. Dang. But you know what happens when you lose a lot? You appreciate a lot and you become a better person. And that's why I'd love to talk to him. I mean, just in general, I mean, I think where we are with social justice things and things going on in the last two years, I would just, I, I know historically things were different 150 years ago than they are now, but just being able to start the process of equality in our system and, and trying to, to reconcile with the 
the greatest evil of humanity is slavery and, and segregation and Jim Crow, those kind of things. I would love to have that conversation and just find out where he would be on those now in a modern angle. But, yeah. I'd, I'd like to have a, a conversation with a lot of American historical figures for sure about what they think about today. Um, America is such an interesting experiment, you know, and, and um, I think, you know, once the storybook ends and we're all back in, in the singularity of our being, we'll look at all of this and be like, wow, what a fucking ride. <laughs> You're right. Because You're that, yeah, like that's it. Like, you know, we talk about this whole you're infinite before you die as you're a human and after you die. And so it's really like I really believe that we just came here to to actually experience that the contrast and and the spectrums and the lefts and the rights and the ups and the downs and the, you know, all, all of it. Like we came to experience it because at the end of the day, none of it can really ever affect us on a real permanent level. You know, we could get killed tomorrow in, in, a, in a genocide and we'd either be born again here on earth or somewhere else, or we literally be back in the realization of our oneness, you know? And so it's not down, I'm not downplaying, you know, crime or genocide I'm not at all, but we're looking at like these major factors of our lives that we allow to drive us like death and, and all of these different things and going beyond them. And I agree. And I'll say this in terms of what you just said with oneness and everything else, it's kind of like looking into the big picture of it and not being torn down by what you don't have. Right. It's what, it's what you do have. And it's, it's appreciating everything that is given to you as an opportunity, not looking, if we were to look back on the past in our lives, you look back on your childhood, or I look back on earlier parts of my life, we wouldn't want to pick our head off, off, off the pillow. We'd want to just stay, stay with the covers over our heads. Right. But the reality is we've got to live. We've got so many things to do with our purpose in life. And that's why taking those limited thoughts, limiting thoughts and, and dispelling them and, and using your, your thought processes that you come up with, reality hacker and all that. I, 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 I go with that because it, it resonates with me. It's like you're speaking my language. Yeah. Um, I really do appreciate it. I want to thank you for coming on today because uh, this has been one of those interviews that I could say it, it's, it, it's, been, it's been amazing. So I appreciate you sharing your viewpoints, your, your personal story, your adversity, and everything that you've accomplished is just uh, – amazing opportunity for other people to be inspired by. And in that respect, I think you offer a lot more than you realize to people, not just space tourism, mining and reality hacking and those other kind of things. But as a person, I feel like you as a person offer a lot for people to be inspired by your personal story. Well, I appreciate and, that a lot. You know, it's interesting because <laughs> when I looked at your credentials and we were preparing for the interview today and then having you come on and share your personal experiences, it's, it's like, Interviews take their own road, you know, they take their own direction. This one's showing me that, you know, you can deal with a lot of adversity on a personal level, but that doesn't have to be your own story. Yeah. And that's, that's what I think you represent for me, at least my take on our talk today. And I'm sure my audience will feel the same way. I want to thank you for coming on and sharing everything with me and our audience. I'll do the outro and then I'll come back and we'll talk and wrap up and I'm going to stop recording at that point. But thank you so much for coming on to the show. Cool. No, I appreciate you so much. You know, the conversation just flowing is, oh, yeah. is super important to me and you, you and I have been able to bounce back off each other. And I think those are the conversations that audiences love the best. So I'm, I, I think we should definitely do this more, I would love um, it. you know, and, and find more ways to work together. Cause I think you and I have a really strong alignment and you obviously have experience in even other areas of my life besides the spiritual, primarily spiritually focused stuff. So there's lots of alignment here. And I just, I'm well, all, 
Uh, I would love to talk to you about artificial intelligence, more on space travel, more on futurism. So yeah, we got plenty of content. We could get together and definitely do another episode or more. I would love that. I think you could be like an amazing wealth of, of knowledge and information and perspective. And I would love to bounce that off you. Heck yeah. Well, I, you know, and I would love to be here with you, but I like the relationship building aspect too. I think that, you know, you offer a lot as well. And, and the more closer we get, I think as people, easier it is for us to figure out how we can help each other both get to where we're wanting to go, you know, and it's just, it's, it's so awesome when you find people that you just really vibe with and you can impact the world with. We can do it all as a group of people, right? We can all do it together. (laughs) All right, I'm going to do my outro and then I'll come back. I just want to thank Michael Gustin for coming on the show today. It's exciting when you have a visionary come on, share their personal information, describe all the adversity that they've been through, and yet overcome all that to become somebody who's so notable, so inspiring. And and I know for a fact, we're going to see a lot about SkyTech. And Michael's future is just starting to take effect, I think, in the next 10 years. I bet you anything, mark my words, we're going to see space exploration before 10 years is up. And I feel like Michael is going to be somebody you will get to know pretty well, just in terms of what he represents. As a law student, I uh, made the conscious decision to become a guardian ad litem, where I worked with children in the dependency system who were taken away from their parents. You know, the, the rights were taken away from the parents involved. and It's a heartbreaking experience that I remember going through for myself. I was very inspired by it in my early 20s. And it was something that, for me, made me realize that the system itself, there's thousands of children who do not have adequate resources of love and support and guidance. And I bring that up today because by hearing Mike share his story with our, Michael share his story with our audience when he was in the dependency system as a child, and all those adverse things he's gone through, it resonates with me. And it makes me think that you can be in a lot of difficult situations, but if you look ahead and you look beyond your confinement, you can liberate yourself from a lot of those negative aspects of those situations. They're learning experiences. Look, we're all going to be uncomfortable. You know, it's about getting outside your comfort zone and making something that is worthwhile. And I feel like Michael's done that. And I'm so just excited to have such an amazing person come on the show and share his talents with our audience. And I hope each of you check out his website, uh, check out Reality Hacker, and look at SkyTech. And if anyone wants to reach Michael, by the way, his email is mg at realityhackeracademy.com. And if anyone would like to reach out to me and get in touch with Michael, I'm, I know for a fact he'd love to hear from you. Check out his materials. Um, just a great person with a gentle heart and a big, big, big impact on all of us. So thank you so much for checking out our show. Stay positive because when you're positive, anything's possible. Thank Thank you you. for listening to this episode of the Social Psychic Radio Show. Don't forget to join us for another episode next time. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review on iTunes. You can also check us out on Facebook. And don't forget to visit the Social Psychic YouTube channel. Until next time, it's a big world out there. Keep an open mind. Embrace your paradigms and know that the universe is always yours to explore. At Baker's, no matter where you order free pickup, you get the same great deals as you'd get in store. So you can save when you order during band practice. 
or at the dog park or wherever. Start your cart with the Baker's app and save from wherever today. Baker's, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Hey there, I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast. Back to the arena, the interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock band like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the interview. Electric Acid. Electric Acid. 